Well, if you were here last week, you know that we started a brand new series that is titled Meet in the Middle. And so if you were not here, or if you need a refresher, let me just tell you what the premise of this is. What we really want to do is we want to take many of the biblical topics that we see taken to the extreme, and we want to try to kind of right-size them and bring them together in the middle to see what God is really trying to show us. Um, This is something that we've seen throughout church culture today. It's something we've seen historically where these biblical topics are taken to one extreme and then they're taken to the other. And and we just want to understand what is in the middle so that we can rightly understand God's word. And so last week we did that and we um, talked about God's wrath versus God's grace, which was a a pretty big topic, but we were able to dig in and and figure out where they meet in the middle in this kind of beautiful God-glorifying way. And, uh, and so if you weren't able to listen to that, I would encourage you to go watch that online. I think it's really helpful, especially when it comes to the character of God. Like, we need to understand who he truly is, and hopefully last week helped in that way. But today we're going to get into a different topic, and, and I'm equally excited to get into this one. And so today we are going to be talking about faith versus works, okay? Faith versus works, and this is one of those topics that... We have seen the extreme of each side of this. In fact, historically in church culture, this is one of the main topics that's been taken to one stream and the other. And so we want to meet in the middle, understand what this means for our lives and how we can apply it to our relationship with God. So this is a big one, and I'm excited to to dig in. But uh, before we do that, I always want to start by just saying a quick word of prayer to kind of help us hone in on what God is trying to speak to our lives. And so if you would... Just close your eyes and and join with me, even if you're at home and and you're in your living room. If you would, just close your eyes and pray with me. Heavenly Father, once again, we are so grateful to feel your presence in this place in such a real way. It's such an honor to be able to to feel you and get to spend some time with you today. And, And right now, I ask that you would prepare our hearts to receive what you have for us today, not just in a way that informs us, but in a way that truly changes us. And I pray that you would speak through me in only the way that you can. And ultimately, we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise that you deserve. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Okay, well, let's jump right in. So we're talking about faith versus works. And uh, like we did last week, what we're going to do is we're going to take each of these topics, we're going to set them aside, and we're going to really dig into each one of them. And then at the end, we're going to see how they come together, okay? And so why don't we start with the bigger of the two, which I think you would agree is the concept of faith, okay? So let's talk about this, really understand what this means for our lives, because this is a pretty big deal. Now, like last week, when we talked about God's grace, Um, Faith is another one of those topics that we hear a lot about, right? We talk about it, we teach about it, we sing about it over and over again. We hear this, and this word too is also kind of intertwined with our identity because many of us would, would call ourselves people of faith, right? So this is kind of who we are, what makes us who we are in many ways. And yet I'm not sure that that many of us truly understand the real depth and meaning of this word. I'm not sure we really see the whole picture when we talk about this concept, and and we absolutely need to if we're going to step into it the way that God desires, okay? So let's do that. Let's let's really break this down, understand what this means, and anytime we talk about faith, the first place that you can go is Hebrews chapter 11, 
We've talked about this before, but Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith. In other words, this whole chapter is just full of this concept. And the first verse, to open up this chapter, it actually kind of gives us a definition of faith. And so this is where we need to start as we break this down. So Hebrews 11, verse 1, follow along with me. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It's the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, it's interesting here because this definition seems to be breaking this down into two primary ways. We're seeing two concepts at play here that we need to understand. And the first one is simply this. Faith involves knowledge. Okay, it says the assurance of things hoped for. And so first off, there must be knowledge associated with our faith. So let me explain it this way. A few weeks ago, we talked about how none of us are inherently aware of the good news of Jesus Christ. That is to say, none of us were just born with the knowledge that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose again and so we can have new life through him. That's not something we inherently know. And so the Apostle Paul says, well, how are they going to know unless they hear? So this is something we have to hear and be made aware of the knowledge of the gospel. And so this is really the beginning of faith. This is what kicks our faith off is when we're made known of the good news of Jesus Christ, okay? So so knowledge is essential, but at the same time, it can't stop there, okay? So knowledge is essential, but it must go beyond knowledge. Knowledge by itself is insufficient. I want you to hear that because we're about to read some scriptures that show this very clearly. Romans chapter one, verse 21, it says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. So, so they knew God, they, they knew who he was, there was head knowledge, but it didn't lead to anything. They didn't honor him, they didn't give him thanks, okay? So you're seeing that it, something's not complete there, right? Let's fast forward a couple verses later, verse 32. It says, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same thing, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So in other words, they know the decrees and the commands of God. There's knowledge of that, but there's no willingness to take part in that, okay? There's no substance beyond that. There's something deeper that we have to reach here. And we actually get a glimpse of that in Hebrews 11, because remember it says the conviction of things not seen. There's there's conviction, there's something deeper here that we're driving at that we need to understand, okay? And so I want to go to a different definition of faith that on the surface is going to seem very simple to you, but really does a great job of driving home what faith is really about, okay? So I'm going to give you this definition, and then we're going to spend some time really understanding what exactly that means, okay? So you can write this down, take a picture, whatever, but let's really understand what we're talking about. So faith, listen, is trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ, okay? Faith is trusting in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Now, again, on the surface, that seems very simple, right? We could read right past that and not understand exactly what that means, so let's talk about it. Because first off, what we clearly see here is that this takes us beyond the idea of knowledge, 
right? This isn't just simply belief in the facts about Jesus or information about him. This is a personal trust in Jesus Christ to save you, a personal trust. So it's not like we hear the gospel and we go, oh, that's, that's really cool information. That's, that's really cool. I'm glad that I know that. No, when you hear the gospel and you receive it, it changes everything. It, it changes your life. You must be given to it if you truly receive it, okay? And so actually the word trust here is the word that we need to understand in this definition. And let me tell you why I use this word to try to bring home the holistic view of this concept, okay? There are a lot of words that we commonly use around here that over the course of time and as they travel through different contexts can carry with them different meanings and associations, Okay, we, we very much see this over the course of time. Words do kind of change their meaning. And so sometimes when we read scripture, we'll, we'll read some words and we're not really picking up the true meaning and depth behind it. So let me give you a quick example of what I'm talking about. We see the word believe all over scripture, right? Believe, especially as it relates to our salvation. We see this over and over again. And sometimes that confuses us. Because in our context and, and in our language, to believe something is really just to like agree on certain facts or principles, right? Like I just, I agree with you. Like I can believe that five times five is 25, right? I, I believe that. I believe that water is a liquid. These are facts. I believe that. But there's no personal commitment to that. There's no like submission to that. It's just facts. And so when we read something like believe in God, we're not really picking up exactly what that's saying. Okay? And faith is very much the same way. We very much misunderstand this many times because in our culture, to say faith is almost, it's almost like this irrational hope that goes completely against the evidence, right? It's just irrational hope. I'll give you a, a, an example in the sporting world because that's what I understand maybe best. But if you have this really awesome team and this really terrible team going up against each other, the fans of the terrible team will say, just have faith, man. Just have faith. Like, we can do this, right? We can win this game. Well, no, you're not going to win. The evidence clearly says you're not going to win. And so we understand faith in this way. It's this irrational hope where you kind of have to commit intellectual suicide to have faith. And listen, that's not at all what Scripture means when it says the word faith. And so I think the word trust here is, is actually the way that we understand it Maybe the best sense of what the biblical writers meant when they would say faith or belief. Because if you think about it, trust is still an unseen act of hope, right? You, you can't see that. And yet it does seem to generate more of action and submission and relationship, right? Like you are taking a chance in some sense when you first put your trust in somebody. You're, you're taking a risk, but you're also putting commitment into that. And then sure enough, as you learn more and more about them, as you spend more time with them, that trust grows and that relationship blossoms, right? And this is what saving faith is. It's so much deeper. It's so much more than sometimes we understand it to be, okay? So let me give you a really good example of how this is seen in Scripture and how sometimes we can read right past these things. So let's go to the words of Jesus here. And in this particular situation, he's going to use the word believe, but rather than just talking about believing random facts, watch how he's clearly driving at something deeper here, okay? John 3, 16, very popular scripture, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Now, why am I saying that that clearly drives at something deeper? Well, because did you notice that Jesus does not say whoever believes him? That is to say, whoever believes the words of Jesus or believes that he was a real man, what he says is whoever believes in him. That is to say, a personal trust in the person of Christ. You have to put yourself in Christ to truly have faith. It's not just distant belief and random facts. It's something that is much, much deeper. It would be like, you know, if we're talking about somebody that we know and they said something, if I were to say, I believe him, all I'm saying is I believe whatever he just said, right? I'm believing the information that he just gave me. If I say, I believe in him, then it's like, I'm invested in this kid, right? I'm all in on this. It's very much a different concept. And so faith, listen, is a personal trust in Christ. You're believing in him, okay? This is important. In fact, think about how scripture shows us the calling that Christ has on our life. How does he initiate that in the New Testament? Well, he doesn't simply ask us to believe random facts about him. He doesn't say, like, cling to the information about me. What does he say? He says, come to me. Come to me, those who are heavy, and I will give you rest, right? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, right? He says this over and over again, and it's not an impersonal invitation to simply believe information about Jesus. It's a personal invitation to enter into a trusting relationship with him. And this is faith. This is what it is, okay? It goes so far beyond what many of us have made it out to be or have understood it to be. It is putting your trust in the person of Jesus Christ and living a life that is dedicated to him, okay? So this is so important that we understand, especially if we're gonna call ourselves people of faith because it's not just about your head knowledge, okay? It goes much, much deeper, okay? Now, what could possibly be the extreme viewpoint in this equation, okay? We've just laid out this beautiful concept of faith that's wrapped up in our identity, like this is awesome, but what could be the extreme of that? And so here's the danger that sometimes we could get into with this, and actually this is one of the primary dangers that we've seen throughout Christianity over the course of time. So this is, this is a big one, this is important, we need to lean into this, okay? And that is, if faith is something that we can't see, then how do we know that we are people of faith? If this is something that we can't see, how, how do we indeed know that this is something we have? Now, I'm going to wait a second to, to answer that directly, but here's ultimately the trap that people fall into. Many, many people will say that I have faith in Jesus Christ. I, I am a person of faith, and yet nothing in their lives displays that. There's, there's nothing on display. There's, there's no substance behind that. And, and I'm not saying that in a judgmental way, because who am I? That's, that's his job, Right? What I am saying is I think it's important to call out that faith is not a stagnant idea. In other words, when you truly put your faith in Jesus Christ, things should not just stay the same. It should not just stay stagnant. We see this in scripture very clearly over and over again. Watch the phrases that it applies to this idea. It says, you will be born again. You, you will be a new creation, have a renewed mind. You will be living sacrifices. Like these are huge changes that happen in your life. And so what scripture shows is that faith is clearly something that must lead to change. It must lead to action. Otherwise, it's not true faith to begin with, okay? 
And so this is actually the perfect segue into our other topic today. And so why don't we hit the pause button on faith for a second and let's unravel what works show us in scripture. Now, just to be clear, when we use the word works, what we're talking about is our actions, right? The, the things that we do, that's our works. And so we need to understand how scripture speaks of this. And so let's start by saying this, and I think this will be helpful to know, that it's important for us to understand while God is a God who's full of grace, right? We talked about that in detail last week. He is full of grace. And, and while all he does is call us to put our faith and trust in Christ, all of that's true. But at the same time, listen, God is serious about action. He is serious about our actions. That is to say that he wants us to be people who don't just talk the talk, but who walk the walk. And this is important to him. We see this very clearly. I'm sure all of us have heard the phrase before, actions speak louder than words, right? And, and I think that's very true. I think you could probably see that in your own life and relationships. Well, that's a biblical concept. 1 John chapter 3, 18 says, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. So true love is not shown in the things that we say or with lip service. It's shown in action and in attitude. That's where true love is shown. And again, we see this concept all throughout scripture. We cannot deny this desire of God. So let me show you that. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, But prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Don't just be hearers of this. You need to be doers. And if you're just hearing this and that's it, you're deluding yourself. In other words, you're deceived. You're fooling yourself if that's all you're doing, okay? Romans 2, 13 says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. It's the doers that are justified, okay? Titus 2, 7, In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. In all things, show it. Like, display it. Put it into action, right? And then John 15, 14, and we see Jesus saying this in many different variations throughout the Gospels, but he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. If you love me, you will keep my commands. This is what he says. He's looking for action of people that would step into what we're talking about, okay? Now, listen, the danger with this whole idea of works is, is something that can be a huge pit pitfall for many people, okay? So we have to be aware of this, and that is if you end up putting too much of an emphasis or focus on this idea of works, then we might begin to look at God's desire for action and all of a sudden start to think that our works are necessary for salvation and a relationship with him, okay? All of a sudden, we're going to start to think that we have to do something or, or earn something or garner enough favor to have relationship with him. And that carries with it a very diluted understanding of God and the desire for relationship with us. Okay? It's a very, very dangerous thing to do where you have to earn, you have to deserve, and you have to do these things, right? Because the, the problem with that is there's nothing you could ever do to earn your salvation. There's nothing that you could ever do to to deserve reconciliation in a loving relationship with God, nothing. And so when we begin to walk in this air of thinking, what we end up doing is we end up pushing and pushing and trying and trying to gain something that not only can we not gain, but something that he's already paid for to begin with. We're trying to accomplish something that he's already accomplished on our behalf. Like, think of how silly that is, really. 
That's not something you would do in your normal life. So why are you trying to do it in your relationship with God? Okay, so let's be really, really clear about this. Let's make sure we understand what's going on. So let me say this as clearly as I can say it. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. That's it. Stop trying to make it more complex than that. Stop trying to overdo things. You need to let go and put your faith in Christ. Now, that's a big statement to make. So we need to make sure we have a robust foundation of scripture around that, right? So let's go ahead and read through some, some scriptures here. And these are all the writings of the Apostle Paul. And man, he could not be more clear about this idea. So let's walk through this one by one. Starting in Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay? So he really couldn't say it any clearer. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's it. We shouldn't even really have to read anymore, but I do want to show you how prevalent this idea is in scripture. Galatians 2, 16 says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. You're justified through faith. Romans 3, 26, that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Again, very clear. Romans 3, 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You're justified by faith. Romans 4, 5, this is an interesting one. But to the one who does not work, okay, you're not working, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Did you notice that Paul is equating believing in him with faith? Again, these have the same concept wrapped up within them. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Galatians 3.14, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, okay? We would receive the Holy Spirit through faith. Over and over and over again, Paul is going to hit us in the face with this idea, okay? And, and honestly, we just went through a lot, but that's scratching the surface of what he says on the topic. Go read Galatians 3, Romans 1 through 5, Ephesians 2. I mean, it's all over the place. It almost gets a little bit monotonous as you're reading through it. Like, we get it, okay? But this is the truth. We are saved by God's grace alone through faith in Christ alone. That's it. The equation's done. Secure that in your heart. But now we have to hold this tension in place. We're going to have to hold this truth in place because at this point, I want to read through a very eye-opening set of scriptures in the book of James that really reinforces much of what we've already talked about today, but at times does seem to, to almost contradict this whole concept of grace alone, faith alone. Okay? Even for me, as I read through it sometimes, it's like, whoa, that seems to directly contradict what Paul says. And so let's read through this, understand what he's really trying to say, because this is ultimately where we're going to meet in the middle of these two topics. Okay, So let's unpack this. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. This is, this is really good writing. James says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Verse 17, even so faith, 
if it has no works, is dead because it's by itself. Faith without works is dead. This is what he's saying. Now, let's start by understanding his premise at the very beginning, okay? And his premise is very, very clear from the start. He says, what good is it if you say with your mouth that you have faith and then nothing in your life shows that? What, what good is that? He even says, can that kind of faith save you? And of course, he's insinuating, no, it can't. So James is actually talking about that extreme faith idea that we were discussing a few minutes ago. This is what he's driving at. Why are you saying that you have faith and yet nothing in your life points to that? Like you, you say that you believe what Jesus has done for you, but, but there's no love for others. There's no fruit of the spirit. There's no obedience to him. Like what's going on? Because things aren't adding up the way that they should. In fact, he uses a really good real life example to show us this, right? He says, what if somebody comes up to you and, and is without clothing and food? Like, I need, I need some clothes, I, I need some food. And you say to them, well, go, be warm and, and be filled, and yet do nothing about it. You don't take a single step to actually help in that endeavor. It's almost kind of a, a ridiculous thing to do, right? To say to them, well, go, be warm and be filled and do nothing. And so what James is saying is, yeah, that kind of faith, it's dead. It's not real, it's not genuine, because it's not leading to any action, okay? Now, he's gonna continue to dig into this, so let's go to verse 18. He says, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works. Watch what he says. And I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. Verse 20, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Are you not willing to recognize faith without works? It's, it's useless. Now, why is it useless? What is he showing us? Well, he's showing us that it's because we have an intellectual belief in God, but nothing more. We, we have that head knowledge, but there's nothing in our lives that's showing it's going any further. And what does he equate it to? Demons. He says, you can essentially equate your faith to demons, because guess what? They have an intellectual knowledge of God too. They, they know who he is. They know that he's real. And what, what good is that doing for them? There's no obedience there's no relationship. There's no substance. This type of faith is useless. It does nothing for you. But then we turn the page to verse 24, and we, we see that things are going to start to get really interesting here. Because up to verse 23, all of this seems to work together really well. Everything's really adding up. We, we see that this makes perfect sense. But then in verse 24, James is going to make a really big statement here that again seems to directly contradict the writings of Paul. So watch what he says, and then we're gonna break it down and understand why he says this. Verse 24, he says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. We just read like seven scriptures where Paul says at nauseum that we are saved by faith alone. We are justified by faith apart from works. He says it very clearly, and so do we have a situation here where, where Paul and James are contradicting each other? Like, do they just have a different understanding of, of the concept of faith? Is that what we're seeing? Well, no, and, and let me explain to you why this is the case, okay? It's very important in context to understand what's going on, okay? So by this point in history, in James and in Paul's ministries, they have been preaching the grace alone, faith alone message at nauseum. 
Like, this has completely consumed their ministries. And there's a very good reason for that. And that is because you have to remember that the Jewish people are coming fresh off of a lifestyle where works are essential to their relationship with God, right? All through the Old Testament, we see this rituals and and festivals and sacrifices and, and all of these laws. Like, there are all of these guardrails that they have to hang on to. And so when they heard, all you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ, that was a novelty to them. That did not make sense. Not only did it blow their minds, they didn't even know how to like begin stepping in that. That's such a radical idea to them. They struggled with really putting this into practice. So the disciples are trying to come alongside and, and say, listen, let go of that. Stop trying to make it too much. It's grace alone through faith alone. This is important for you to understand. But then what happened over the years of their ministry, as they continued to preach this, they began to realize that while this is such a beautiful message and when you receive it the right way, it it, it changes everything, right? What was happening is they began to see that people were taking advantage of this concept. And not just that, honestly, but, but people were honestly confused a little bit by the simplicity of this concept. And so what happened is over time, they began to witness that people were saying they had faith, but there was no life change that was following. It was proving to be empty. It was proving to be hollow, right? And so James finally comes along and he says, listen, guys, understand, faith without works is dead. It's dead. It's not real. There has to be substance behind this. And of course, the Apostle Paul 100% agrees with that premise. I mean, this does not blindside him at all. In fact, we read this earlier This is the writing of Paul. He says, for it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law who are justified. So he very clearly understands this concept. But I want to take you to another writing of Paul, because I think this is where he really drives home the message that we need to hear around this topic. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 5. He says, for we through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. So first off, he's bringing it back to faith, right? It's all about faith, faith alone. But then he goes to verse six. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. Faith working through love. Now, I just want to to address this real quick for any that might be confused. What, what, What we see here is circumcision or uncircumcision is the act or, or the work that proved whether you were a Jew or not, right? That was, that was the work. That was what they did. And so what Paul is saying here is, listen, in Christ Jesus, that doesn't matter. It, it doesn't mean anything. You can put that to the side. Here's what matters. Faith that is working through love. This is what matters. In other words, that's not a dead faith. That's not a useless faith. It's a working faith through love for one another, Okay. So listen, Paul and James very much are on the same page here, okay? They absolutely have the same concept and perspective of faith, but let me try to explain it this way, and maybe this will give you the distinction that you need to understand their different angles on this, okay? If I were to walk up to the Apostle Paul, and I were to say, hey man, listen, does salvation through faith, does it depend on our works? Like, just tell me, does this depend upon my works? What Paul would say is, if by works, you mean the things that you've done to to earn your salvation, like the things that you've done to try to deserve God's grace, no. Because there's nothing you could ever do to earn or deserve that. It's grace alone through faith alone. That's it. 
And he would hammer that home all day long. But if I were to walk up to James and I were to say, hey, listen, does salvation through faith depend upon works? What he would say is, if by works you mean evidence and fruit of your faith, then yes, that matters. There has to be something that comes along with that because if you truly have faith, you are gonna change and there are gonna be some actions that come down the line from that. And this is where we meet in the middle. Faith alone is what unites us to Christ. Hear that, write it down. Faith alone is what unites us to Christ. But the true faith that unites us to Christ is faith that bears the fruit of love and obedience and submission. And those things have to come together. They have to come together. So listen, I think at this point we we need to stop and try to personalize this a little bit. Because up to this point, I've given you a ton of information. I've thrown all of this knowledge at you, but I, I want at this point you to personalize this information because this is ultimately what matters today. So I just, I want to slow things down. I want us to be able to do some self-reflection and be honest with ourselves, okay? So listen, if, if you've been contemplating this concept of faith, and even as I've been talking about it, you're, you know, you're slowly realizing what it is and, and how this applies to your life, and maybe what you're realizing for the first time is that You've been trying to earn God's favor. You've been trying to deserve what he has for you. Like you're trying desperately to show him, I'm good enough for you. I'm good enough for you, Christ. Listen to me. I want to encourage you by saying, let go. Let go of the trying. Let go of the pushing. Put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's all you have to do. That's it. Stop trying to make it any more than that. That's enough. That's enough. But maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum, and maybe you're contemplating this idea, and maybe you're saying to yourself, yeah, I'm a person of faith. I, I have faith in what Christ has done for me. But if you're being honest with yourself, you don't see any change in your heart. There's no change that's happened in your life as a result of that. Then we need to talk about this. And let me just first off say this, because I think it's important to say. This is, again, one of those ideas that is nuanced. So I'm not trying to make it out to be more simple than it is. And I say that because I'm not saying that when you truly put faith in Christ, there's going to be like this immediate 180 in your life. Okay, you're still going to have fleshly desires. (laughs) You're, you're still going to stumble along at times, okay? So I'm, I'm not saying anything against that. But if you're being honest with yourself, if you realize that there's no deep-rooted love for Christ in your heart, there's no desire for obedience to him, there's no desire for relationship with him, you're not finding yourself being drawn to him. What I would tell you lovingly, although harshly, is that James would call your faith dead. He would say that that faith is useless because it's not leading to anything. And that's really hard to say and probably a lot harder to hear if you feel like you're in that boat. But sometimes, I'm telling you guys, we have to be honest with ourselves. 
We have to be true about these things. Like, listen to me. Just because you come to church on Sunday mornings doesn't mean you truly have put your faith in Jesus Christ. If nothing else is changing in your life, your faith is dead. And we have to be honest about it. We have to be true about it. Because otherwise, we can't change it. If we're not willing to look at ourselves in the mirror and realize what's going on, we can't change it. But if we're honest, we can. And so today, I would encourage you, put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again, and you can have new life through him. Put your trust in that work. It is complete. Stop trying to show God that you're good enough for him. Stop trying to earn up a bunch of favor and just let go and allow him to take you. So if we could just close our eyes. Whether you're in the building or you're at home, I would just encourage you to close your eyes. And really, here's what I want. I want each and every one of us, myself included, guys, to have some personal time with God. I'm, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to get rid of the distractions, to stop thinking about everything else going on, who's next to you, what you're going to do after this. I'm begging you, have some personal time with God right now. And here's what I would encourage you with. If you feel like you're finding yourself on one extreme or the other of this topic, the answer is the same. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. He is enough. He has accomplished it. I know, I know sometimes that's not an easy thing to do or an easy thing to comprehend, but I promise if you truly put your faith in him, you will experience life change like never before. And again, I'm not saying life is going to be perfect. What I am saying is you will find yourself drawing closer and closer to him, a stronger desire for relationship with him, a stronger desire for his word, a stronger desire to love others, to be a part of this mission that he's laid out in front of us. But we must put our faith in him. So just talk to him right now. Tell him whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind. Maybe, maybe you're still confused about some things. Allow the Holy Spirit to move and speak in your heart, to open up the doors that need to be opened, to soften the areas that need to be softened so that you can receive what you need today. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would begin to speak and move into every single person's heart that is under the sound of my voice, myself included. Lord, that you would draw us into you, that you would open the doors that are necessary, that we can truly 